Hello everyone and welcome to episode 447 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a very special crew this week. You probably noticed... No Richard, no Krim. Richard's out sick. Krim's kind of in a hurricane. So we're joined today <laughs> by Tomer, probably better known as Budget Commander. Tomer, good to have you on the Goldfish. When was the last time you were on this cast? Was it like, oh my goodness, I forgot. I think it was Vegas. It was Vegas, and then you swore a bunch, and we banned you from the podcast. Yes, <laughs> and now we're in man. desperation <laughs> mode, so Tomer's, Tomer's back. <laughs> when the world is on fire, when there's hurricanes, you dare come to me, you must truly be desperate. Uh, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, for doing it uh, for doing it, Tober. So today we're gonna have a fun cast. We are like right smack dab in the middle of Wilds of Eldraine spoilers. We've had almost an entire week of spoilers. There's still more coming. Commander precons are coming. Still more main set stuff. But we're gonna talk about Wilds of Eldraine and what we think of this. I got some cards I really want to ask Tomer about, get his opinion mm. on. He has some cards he's want to ask me about. So that's gonna be the the main plan for today. Talking everything Wilds of Eldraine before we jump into it. Though, a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. If you ever get tired of all the hassles that go into buy listing your cards, Card Conduit lets you skip them. You can use their curated service and send in as many cards as you want with a buy list value of a dollar or more and pay just a 5% fee. And if you want to do a little bit of work, you can use the sorted service where you list and sort your cards in advance and pay just a 2% fee. And no matter which option you choose, you'll get a detailed report with the results and a fast payment once the orders processed and you can even get another 10% off by heading over to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish card conduit they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards so thank you to card conduit for supporting the show so tomer wilds of Eldraine. we're in the middle of spoiler mm. season before we get into the cards i gotta ask you what do you think of this set so far i feel like we've seen a big enough chunk of it that we can actually like start you know, making some judgments about what we think of the power level, the flavor. How are you feeling overall about it, about Wilds of Eldraine? So overall, I don't really know power level because I feel like half these cards are very hard to like eyeball. Like adventures in, in particular, I feel like I need to play with them or at least most of them to see how they are in like 1v1 formats. But I really like the flavor of it. Um, I like the storybook fairy tale setting of Eldraine. And I think one thing I really appreciate about this revisiting of Eldraine is that um, there's a lot of unexplored territory that they're covering with this new style. They're looking at the wilds of Eldraine. So they, we covered um, the focus on the humans, their, the knights, their courts and everything, the human side of Eldraine, the structured and ordered side. And now we're venturing into the wilds, we're venturing into the forest, we're dealing with the fae and everything. And I think that's really nice. It's unexplored territory that still feels like Eldraine. I very much don't like when we go to like, uh, we revisit a plane and then it's like, oh, Bolas has now just exploded the plane and it's War of the Spark. And like the plane is now just a backdrop for like this interplanar war. Like that doesn't interest me as much. I like I like diving into the the immersion of the plane itself. And I think this one really hit me very well in terms of the flavoring and the setting and everything. And it feels like a a, a good return to a setting. But what do you think, Seth? Are you big on lore or setting or anything flavor? <laughs> I mean, so I do like the, the 
flavor of uh, of Eldorade, I will say. Like, so I'm not super big into the lore and flavor. That's just never been my main thing. Although I've come to appreciate it more. I, when I first started, I cared like not at all about the lore and flavor, but I've come to appreciate it more. I actually hadn't connected that Wilds of Eldorane was like out in the wilds until you just mentioned that. But that actually makes a lot of sense because this that I was thinking, OK, like this feels very much like Eldorane, like the flavor reminds me a lot of the original Eldorane. But it still feels new. It's not like they're just rehashing all the same old ideas. So I think you are like very right that that's what they're doing. And it's really interesting. It's like we're seeing another another side of this plane or this world that we just didn't see before. So I think it's very interesting. There's some weird stuff like uh, mice and raccoons mm. and stuff like that. But oh, they're yeah. <laughs> very like Eldorain in and it does really hit the the uh, the fairy tale flavor or whatever of the set. So I'm pretty hyped for it. I think part of the reason the power level I think is tricky to judge is I feel like there's a lot of synergy cards or stuff that's like really good in a certain archetype or with a certain theme, but not good in a general sense. And I think this is a good thing for 60 card formats. I think one of the problems we have in 60 card formats is we get these cards that are just like the best option in every deck. Like right now in standard shield grid is just like the best thing to play no matter what yeah. deck you're playing. Or we had fable the mirror breaker. It was just the best thing you're splashing right in your decks just because you got to play fable. I feel like this set is a little bit different where we get cards that are really, really powerful, but they're cards that are built only for a specific archetype. I think the best example of this that I've seen so far is uh, Archon of the Wild Rose, which is a four mana, four, four flyer. This says other creatures you control that are enchanted by auras you control have base power and toughness of four, four and flying. That's a card that mm -hmm. I think in a deck, we have this rule mechanic that's just creatures putting auras on everything. In a deck that's just like playing a bunch of these roll cards that are putting auras on themselves when they come into play, to me, this seems like an incredibly powerful finisher. Imagine just like one drop that puts a roll on thing, two drop, three drop, same thing. You drop this. All of a sudden, you're just swinging for like 12 in the air, closing out the game yeah. and maybe one attack. But if you're not doing that, then Archon of the Wild Rose is pretty meh. Like a 4-4 flyer is okay, but it's not something you're going to play like Shieldred in a deck that isn't built around the mechanic. So I really like yeah. how Wizards is trying to design this set. My problem is like, Shieldred still exists and those generically powerful cards still exist. So I feel like if they keep designing sets like this in like a year or two, 60 card formats are going to be in a really sweet place. We just got to wait for all the old like Shieldreds to eventually rotate out at this point. But I, I really like where they're heading with this set design wise, I think. I guess they also have to make sure that Synergy uh, decks are not too good because I remember the last time we were in Eldraine, one of the biggest issues was that adventures had payoffs that were just Yep. Uh, wow. What was it? The innkeeper or something? It was Edgewall. Uh, Edgewall innkeeper. Yeah. Just a one mana one one. You play in an adventure. You draw a card. Right. And there was also Lucky Clover, which was just two mana oh, artifact. Yeah. Copy your adventures. <laughs> and that one actually ended up getting banned. It was so strong. So it is a tightrope. I think you're right. And we've seen that in the past with like energy or like if you yeah. go back a long time, like Lauren Air fairies. Like if you build these synergy decks and they end up being too strong then it can be kind of miserable. But if you can hit it in the right sweet spot where it's like strong enough to be competitive but not breaking the game, then I think in theory you end up in a really like diverse, fun place in 60 card formats. At least that's what I'm hoping we're heading towards. But Tomer, let's mm -hmm. let's talk about some of these uh some of these individual cards. I got I got one I gotta ask you about. So this is one of the one of the hype cards from the set, a new mythic, which is apparently the the son of Oko 
but if I understand the lore right, in Kellen the Fey-Blooded. So this is a new this is a new adventure <laughs> card, and this does something we've never seen before on adventures, which is a legend with adventure. So its creature side is a three mana red fairy human. It's a legend. It's double strike. It says other creatures you control get plus one plus zero for each aura or equipment that's attached to Kellen, and then its spell side is Birthright Boon. Two mana, uh, white sorcery. Search your library for an aura equipment, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. So when I saw this, for 60 card formats, like, it's kind of cute. I think this is designed for commander, though. This is like a spell in your command zone, right? This is like open the armory as your mm-hmm. commander that you can repeatedly cast from the command zone. Is this broken? Should I be scared at, like, what do we think about spells in the command zone? Because we haven't really seen this much before, right? Like, have we had spells? I guess there's some of the... The MDFCs from like Strixhaven, like yeah, Jadzi or Strixhaven. something, but they were all like pretty bad and not really something played. Something the Blood God or something, Awaken the Blood God or something. That that saw a decent amount of play in Canada at least. So but what do you think? I think what do you think about Kellen? You're the equipment player. Is this the the best Caldra? <laughs> the best Caldra commander Ooh. now? <laughs> um, I think maybe it. I like the colors. Your your access to Boros, but I don't think inherently having Isis and sorceries in our command zone is necessarily a bad thing. Like we have, we've had commanders that in, immediately tutor. And I feel like this is very similar to that where uh, we have like Godo bandit warlord. He, he takes uh helm, the host and immediately combos off. He's even a CDH deck. Uh, there was like Nizan, which can either uh, fetch up a hammer or fetch up any equipment. Um, so we do have like tutors that are commanders that can immediately tutor uh, equipment. Um, so that's not, uh, particularly new, but it is new that we've this. I think this is the first time that we've ever had like a straight up like a adventure card in the command zone. And I have noticed a lot of uh, confusion, at least about the rules. Um, a lot of my friends, when this card got uh, previewed, they started asking me like, "Will is like does the command tax work on this? Like how does how does this work?" And the the question the, the answer is basically if you cast anything from the command zone, uh, like any commander from the command zone. Um, the next time it, uh, it will cost two more. Uh, it's a cumulative attacks, the commander attacks. So it doesn't matter if you're casting like a creature, if you're casting an instant or a sorcery, if you're casting it from the command zone, uh, each subsequent time that you cast it will cost two more time. So if you cast Birthright Boon, the adventure side of it from the command zone, and then you put this back into the command zone afterwards, either because you exiled Kellen and then you cast the Kellen, uh, Kellen creature and it dies and you put it back to the command zone, or you decide not to uh, put it on an adventure at all. You can just put it back straight into the command zone to cast it later. It doesn't matter. Um, once you cast it the second time from the command zone, it's going to cost two more. Um, so that's just like a clarification for people who are yeah. listening. I that is a good reminder because I've been confused by that in the past. But the, really, the command tax is pretty hard, right? There's just like there's no getting around it. Like if you think yeah. it, it's being taxed, it probably is because there's no avoiding the tax. Although one of the nice things about how this works is the adventure mode kind of avoids the tax, so you can cast the spell side put Kellen into exile and then mm-hmm. cast it for three mana from exile. Cause it's not the command zone. So you're not paying a tax on that. Correct. And then yes. next time it dies or whatever, it goes back to the command zone. The spell side would be four. The creature side would be five, but like it is cool that you can kind of cast it twice. And it even curves into itself. You like play this tutor up Sunforger or whatever. Then the next turn run out your Kellen. I'm wondering about the actual design of the Kellen side too, though. Like to me, this is kind of a weird card because with, like, 
equipment decks, you often have either go tall decks or go wide decks. You have you know, like commanders mm-hmm. that you want to put a ton of equipment on this one commander and Voltron kill, or you want to put a bunch of equipment, one equipment on a whole bunch of creatures, and that's how you benefit from it. Kellen's kind of both, right? Like it wants you to put a ton of equipment and auras on it. But it also wants you to have a very big board of creatures to benefit from its pumping ability. So even though it's just another Boros equipment commander and we get one every set, it does feel a little unique to me because it kind of like walks this weird line between like wanting to play a ton of creatures, but also put a ton of ores and equipment on it. Yeah, it's definitely straddling. uh, It's adding a new twist to Boros equipment. And yes, we've seen a thousand Boros uh, equipment commanders at this point. It's kind of a meme. Um, but it does do it a little bit differently. Like it's a double striker. Uh, it holds all your equipments very well. Anything with combat triggers, like all the swords, uh, fit very well onto Kellen. You don't need another. You don't need other creatures on the board to get advantage, uh, extra advantage out of your equipments with Kellen. Uh, but then once you do have like other creatures on the battlefield, if there's just like utility creatures like Pure Steel Paladin or whatnot that uh, you want to be running an equipment deck and they just kind of chill, they don't necessarily need to hold onto the equipments themselves. Then they can become big armies. Uh, um, later on like they can start hitting for a lot of damage i feel like the kellen side is is like of the equipment commanders it's it's okay like it doesn't give them extra toughness so like that's a little bit awkward like if you're attacking with a pure steel paladin if it's like an a2 or whatever you're still probably going to be dissuaded from doing it just because you don't want your your creatures to die but if you do like a token like a go wide token style like a bunch of one one somehow and there are equipments that do produce like expendable token creatures then it can be quite quite good so it is a it is a unique uh design choice um but i want to tell you about my favorite uh new card for commander it's not actually a legendary creature seth but how excited for you are are you on turtles um specifically blossoming tortoise this is a four mana three three turtle uh, green turtle, so two and double green. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, mill three cards, then return a lane card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Activated abilities of lanes you control cost one less to activate, and land creatures you control get plus one plus one. This is a lot, but is this something that, that tickles your fancy as well, or is this, this just because I love turtles? <laughs> This might be the coolest card from the set, honestly. Like, it's so unique. It does stuff we've just actually never seen before. So for me, like, the first mode, million ramping, whatever, that's like Wind Grace or, like, it's fine. Like, it makes it into kind of like a solemn simulacrum. We're pro- probably ramping. I don't know how often you're attacking with this. It's only a 3-3. But even if it's just, like, ETB ramp, that's a fine start. Land creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Yeah, I guess you can do some, like, creature land shenanigans or, like, whatever, animate all your lands and this is a lord for them. The important thing for me is that activated abilities on lands you control cost one last to activate. That's the really exciting ability. And this card is so unique because whenever Wizards has ever printed cost reduction effects like this before... First, they normally only work with creatures. There's only a couple that even apply to lands anyway. And then, unless I'm missing something, every single other one they've ever printed says that the ability can't be reduced to less than one. So you always have to pay one mana. Blossoming Turtis, it doesn't care. Like, this can reduce your activated abilities on lands to literally zero. And that opens up a ton of different janky combos with this deck. There's, like, infinite power. I just did a short on YouTube about, like, infinite power combos with this. You can, like, repeatedly yeah. activate a Mutavolt, and it turns your Ceaseless Seer Blades, which is this card that gets a plus one, plus oh, whenever you activate an elemental. So you just activate 
your <laughs> mutavolt a million times, infinite power and fling it. There's like weird deserted temple tap and untap, infinite mill shenanigans that you can do by putting an aura on the land. Uh, deserted temple is just one mana to activate to untap a land, but it'll be zero with blossoming turtles, so you can just keep doing it repeatedly. So this card, I'm very, I'm very excited by this. I don't know if it can make it in 60 card formats. I feel like in 60 card formats, it's it's very much an against the odds mm-hmm. card. I expect we'll be trying yeah. to pull off a cool combo with it, but I don't think it's you supposed to, to be like a a top tier like competitive card in sixty card formats. You're the commander expert though, Tomer. Like, how do you view this in commander? It's not a legend. Like, where are you putting this in commander? It's obviously cool, but what decks does it go in? How do you support this? I think the combos are really nice, but like you said, since it's not a uh, commander itself. Um, focusing on the, the 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 combo side primarily might be a little bit too inconsistent i would say for my taste i think this card is a slam dunk in land decks like anything like lord Windgraze, titania anything that cares about um ramping with lands and also self milling so you can get your lands um out of the graveyard like splendid reclamation that returns all lands you control from your graveyard to the battlefield uh these effects are going to be amazing with blossom and Tartar. so i think this card is already very good from its first ability it's a uh, etb and attack trigger which self mills and ramps i think that card is that card is already playable just by itself uh, being able to combo off and win just kind of dovetails really nicely with those land decks. So you just be running some of those combo pieces and then you're going to just um, just naturally fall into those or tutor up the pieces once you have Blossoming Tortoise. And then land creatures you control get plus one plus one. It's nice. It's there. Uh, some um, some commanders will actually care about animating lands and, and uh, striking out like that. So the anthem is nice. But I think just like the, the main attack uh, and enter the battlefield trigger is going to be really really nice for land decks and then the fact that you you can also become a finisher is just it's gravy i think this card's very good i know a lot of people were complaining it's like oh it's not a legendary creature and like i get it but (laughs) yeah i mean it would be a really cool build around as a legend but you gotta you can't make everything legendary even in 2023 also worth mentioning like works really well with some of the old filter lands where it's like pay a colorless to activate to make two mana of a color like anything like that becomes really strong but i don't know how deep you can go with it not being your commander it seems really risky to like fully overload but like you said it's a a fine value card anyway like even if you don't try to go full-on combo-y like it's still good in like a wind grace style deck or a lands matter style deck especially if you have graveyard synergies i gotta Mm -hmm. i gotta ask you about a card that I think might be my favorite design in the set. And I think this is one that's like got commander ramifications, but is also really good in 60 card formats. And this is a card that when I first saw it, I said, I think this is just like peak 2023 magic design. And that's surge into the meal ender. To me, this card is just like everything. The perfect magic card in 2023 is it's like, a meme. Uh, it's based on the original yes. Throne of Eldraine trailer. <laughs> it's this super goofy, flavorful design. I feel like that's like just the epitome of magic in 2023. And the card, I think, is actually really strong. So it's a two mana, three one legendary artifact creature, Food Knight. It says it has trample, hexproof, and haste as long as the opponent controls a planeswalker. Whenever an artifact you control is put in the graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on it and scry one. 
<laughs> and it's a food, so you can pay two sack it, gain life equal to its power. So <laughs> I think this card is like, what do you think of the flavor of this, Tomer? I've seen some people, when I said I thought this was like a masterpiece of design, were like, no, it's cringe. It's actually cringe. I don't know what you're talking cringe? about. Cringe? Do you think I mean, this we're is... playing Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I don't think we should take the, we should take uh, <laughs> these cards too seriously. I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, this, this is probably my favorite card as well from the format. In terms of... Um, in terms of using a trailer lore, like it's a very lore specific card. Um, the 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 text all matches the flavor. Like why? Like if you look at this card without the context of the lore, it doesn't really make sense. Like why would it have trample hexproof and haste as long as an opponent controls a planeswalker? Well, you can kind of suss out that maybe this thing has a grudge against planeswalkers. But when you watch, you know, the trailer and you see that Garrick actually ate, I think it was ate her her partner. I think it's her boyfriend partner or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the other, the other gingerbread cookie friend, whatever. Um, ate it. You, you can see, and then and then in the she like swears revenge. She's like takes takes up arms like it makes it makes perfect sense and and the rest of the card is very cool it's a food so it can sacrifice itself um and whenever another artifact you control is put into the graveyard so that's probably like the other gingerbread just got eaten they get like the hulk power yeah yeah, like she gets angry and yeah (laughs) i i could see it being like pretty decent in like a treasure decks but do you think this is going to be like something that is going to see a lot of play in 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 one v one formats how prevalent are planeswalkers these days Okay, so Planeswalker is actually kind of awkwardly. Wizards just announced they're on the downswing. They're only making 1% yeah. now. So in standard, that is a bit of a drawback. But I think in 60-card formats, the the second mode is really the big one. Whenever another artifact you control goes to the graveyard from the battlefield, plus one, plus one counter, and scry one. You mentioned treasures. Treasures are pretty plentiful in, uh, in constructed magic. Plus, we're going to food standard. We still have blood tokens in standard. So there's a lot of these cheap artifacts tokens that you can sacrifice and this starts off at a pretty good rate like a colorless two mana three one you don't have to sack that many artifacts and this is like a five three or a six four which is really really strong the other reason i'm really high on this though is actually going back to modern where you have decks like hardened scales where the whole gimmick is kind of like you're playing hardened scales which has an extra counter to things and then you're sacrificing a bunch of stuff to like arcbound ravagers so you're just constantly sacking artifact creatures this is just going to get really huge alongside your arcbound ravager you got the ozilus so you can can move counters around so i think in a deck like that it could be really good in back in modern there are a lot of planeswalkers this comes down in hastily snipes like renin six is really popular to fairy oh, time yeah. ravelers really power uh really popular so that gives it even more upside so for some reason this weird meme legend Whenever I see a legend, I just assume, oh, Wizards is probably designing this for Commander. But after reading this card, I think they actually designed it as much for, like, modern as they did for Commander. Is this good in Commander? Someone said, oh, is this the new best colorless Commander? And my initial take was, like, isn't it really hard to make artifact tokens (laughs) if you're colorless? Like, you can't play all the good, like, dock sides and bootlegger stash and all these ways where you make tons of treasure tokens. Is this even a good Commander or not really? I don't think so. I think it's it's interesting that it is a two drop um, colorless commander. Like I know I know that my favorite colorless commanders, the ones that I would consider the best, like because like the Great Distortion, um, even to an extent like Traxos, a Scourge of Trug, um, or the new Karn. I think those are all really good. They all are on the more expensive sign, and the greatest weakness to colorless decks and commander is that they. They must um, be focused on artifact ramp to ramp out your your commanders. So 
Artifact board wipes are very, very bad uh, for the colorless deck. So you're just going to get got by it. It doesn't matter what type of colorless deck you are. You're going to lose when somebody Vandal blasts you once or twice or farewells you like once or twice. So Ginger at least is a two drop. So like in the worst case scenario where you do get board wiped, you probably can be able to recast her once or twice just with natural lane drops and everything. So that is something. But yeah, I didn't really consider her too much in in a commander but maybe maybe the 99 of like food decks that could be kind of cool it is flavorful on on, on the food thing <laughs> literally um, yeah <laughs> yes it is but there food. was there was there's one card when we're talking about like uh modern versus commander and stuff there was one card that i was like was this from for commander but then i thought about it again and was like actually will this break like multiple constructed formats and that was Beseech the Mirror. I don't know if you've talked about this on the podcast before because it did, nope. did get or it got revealed like a couple days ago, I guess. Uh, so Beseech the Mirror is a black sorcery mythic. It's one in triple black, so it has a big black commitment. Um, it has Bargain, which is a new mechanic that says you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast a spell. And it says search your library for a card, exile face down, then shuffle. If the spell was bargained, you may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost. If that spell's mana value is four or less, put that exile card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way. So either it's four mana, Diabolic Tutor, that costs one more black, essentially, like instead of two and, and double black, it's one and triple black. But if you bargain with it, if you sacrifice any artifact, enchantment, or token, and it's a four four mana value or less spell, you got to cast it for free. So you don't. there's no like mana cost associated to actually tutoring it you just tutor it and immediately cast it so it's like four mana put like the one ring onto the battlefield or isn't shieldred also four shieldred's mana? four mana so you could be like four mana just put your shieldred from your library onto the battlefield four mana put your four mana uh one ring from the library onto the battlefield is this card like was this card made to destroy uh constructed or am i am i reading this wrong <laughs> no you're you are not reading this card wrong i think that this card is actually like if anything i'm worried this card is actually broken and just too good like i cannot imagine a world where this card is not incredibly strong in 60 card formats and i think there's an actual fear that like it might actually just be broken and if you really think about it it's essentially assuming you can bargain it and bargaining it in some ways reminds me of like Luris. One of the problems we saw with Luris is especially when you go back to older formats like Legacy and Vintage, the cost of only playing permanents with uh, mana value two or less is really non-existent because you're already going to yeah. be doing that in a in a deck that's competitive in a format like Legacy or Vintage. So there's kind of no cost to it. A lot of the decks that would want this, like Storm-style combo decks that are using this to get a finisher or whatever, they're already playing like Lotus Petals and Chrome Moxin and in Vintage, the original Moxin. So you already have all these random artifacts that you can sacrifice. So you can just slot this in. And this is just get my finisher, get my best card in my deck for four <laughs> mana every single time so i am actually really worried that like this card might actually be too good especially in combo decks like using it for value i think we will see people like oh sack my orcish bowmaster token get a shield rid or get a one ring like it's good enough we've seen bring to light be what five mana and you got to be in five colors and it only tutors up some things and that card has seen very legitimate competitive play in various formats this seems so much stronger than that so yeah i think this card is 
is borderline broken in 60 card formats. I've seen several people posting like turn one win lines with this card in formats like Legacy where you just like <laughs> uses to get in the storm combo and then win the game. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, but I think this card, if anything, it's probably too good. On the other hand, you do have to, uh, your deck does have to be able to bargain. If you're not bargaining it, it's it's bad, right? Even in Commander, yeah. I think that's true. Like if you're bargaining it, this seems pretty good in commander to me but if you're not bargaining it it's diabolic tutor with a harsher mana cost so you wouldn't even play it how good is it in commander tomer like is this also a scary card or does the casual nature of commander mean the format will regulate itself and whatever it'll be fine i think yeah the format the format can take so much beats you know like we already have dockside we have the one ring we have jeweled lotus like it's so hard to make the commander format as a whole um, not fun because it's already broken. Everything is already broken. The card pool is so vast and it really is held together by basically rule zero conversations of just like, don't don't go overboard with things. So I, I, I'm not worried about this at all with, with um, commander. Um, like, yeah, you're going to be finding your one ring or whatever and that's kind of boring, but like, I don't know. You'll people will be like, "Hey, that's kind of boring," and you'll probably stop <laughs> doing that. If if you're at tables where it's boring, like if you're at high power tables, and fine, yeah, it's another tool. Maybe even CEDH, like CEDH people might be excited to run this, and that's like a good spot for it to be run. But I was just I was just curious, mostly for like one v one formats. Like I didn't even think about legacy, but I was thinking like, is there any chances could. Like, there's no way this would be banned, but would it cause, like, Shieldred to be emergency banned or something? Is that something that could be possible? <laughs> I mean, so I, I'm in the camp where I think they already should have banned Shieldred, so I might be a little biased here, because I'm starting from the place of, like, I think they should have banned <laughs> Shieldred last time around. But yeah. one of my concerns about this set is a lot of what I would consider to be the strongest cards for standard happen to be cards that also would go into a Shieldred deck. So you got Beseech the Mirror to tutor up Shieldred. There's this other bargain card. Oh, what's the... Oh, can I find the name of it? So there's a bargain card. It's a it's a three mana three mana common, I believe. That's if you uh, back for seconds, three mana uh, uncommon. Return two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. But if you bargain <laughs> it, you can put one with mana value four or less onto the battlefield instead. So this is essentially like three mana. Get something back to your hand and reanimate Shieldred. There's a black mythic uh, virtue of uh, persistence, which. Two mana target creature gets negative three, negative three, you gain two life is the adventure mode. And then it's a enchantment for seven mana. You reanimate something from any graveyard in your upkeep. So a lot of the cards that I think are strongest just go into the black deck that is already the best deck in standard because <laughs> of Shieldred. So I think there's a chance. I think we'll have to wait and see. I'm like holding out hope that some of these synergy decks can compete that we see like, okay, like yeah. fairies is strong enough that it can compete or adventures is strong enough or like the roll enchantment deck is strong enough that they can actually compete with the shielder deck but if that doesn't turn out to be the case i i think you just got to do it so yeah i think there is an actual chance and i think it also increases odds of the one ring getting banned in in formats like modern or historic on arena where this is just another card that's going to make that card show up more often you're going to see the one ring more often you're going to see shielded more often so i think that is a is an actual legitimate concern I need to ask you, Tomer. I, actually, okay. I want to ask you about the Enchanted Tales in a minute because I have a little Enchanted Tale rant that I wanted to get into. But <laughs> I also wanted your opinion on them. But I got to ask you about 
a couple of like pretty iconic characters and then they spoil the cards on them. And my initial impression was like, wow, these are really bad, but I want to know what I'm missing. <laughs> and that is Rowan in, in Will. So we got Rowan and Will making a return. They're kind of inverted versions of each other. Rowan is a Rakdos three mana four two with menace. You mm-hmm. can tap in spells you cast that are black or red cost X less to cast where X is the amount of life you lost this turn. And then Will is a three mana two four Azorius legend. Same ability, except it's for white and blue spells, and it's the amount of life you gain this turn. So when I saw this, I was kind of like, wow, are these cards just like, you got to play them, you got to untap with them, you got to have a handful of cards, you got to gain life or lose life, and then it kind of ramps you. Am I missing something? Are these like hype cards I should be excited for? Are these cards kind of like a lot of hoops to jump through to make them work? I think they're both actually quite good. Um, Will... I mean, being able to have, like, imagine this was a three-mana rock that instead of being, like, uh, it taps to add one mana of any color, or taps to add one generic mana, rather, it can tap to generate, like, 20 colorless mana. That's that's kind of how I see it. Okay. You do have, you can't just, you can't just, like, uh, storm off and cast colorless spells. It has to be, like, in the case of Rowan, it has to be black and red, and Will, it has to be uh, white and blue. Uh, but I think Rowan is actually kind of broken because think about how easy it is in black and red to uh, lose life in order to gain some value. Fetch lands, for example, if you crack a fetch land, you lost one life. So suddenly Rowan costs one less to cast. Um, if you're doing stuff like Necropotence, you know, you could lose a lot of life and immediately cast giant things while drawing a whole bunch of cards. So I think that's where the direction Rowan um, is going to be taking. I think this card is is really good gas. It, it's Basically, black and red just have a lot of ways of losing life for value. For black, it's usually drawing cards. Um, for red, it's usually like a group burn effect. Um, so if you could like just lose a bunch of life off of Necropotence and then cast like Crackle of Power or something, some giant X spell off Rowan, you're just going to win the game. So I feel like Rowan yeah. is going to be a powerhouse of a commander. I think Will is a little bit more limited on the, the cool things you can be doing with him. Like gaining life um, is a little bit more of a hoop than losing life. It's much easier because good cards often say, because we're so good, um, you're going to have to lose life in order to get a value out of it. Whereas Will, gaining life is actually something that it's an additional like bonus for the thing that you have to usually pay more mana for or <laughs> at least not pay less mana for um so it's still very good like if you have like soul sisters and stuff you're going to be passively gaining a lot of life and then you can dump it into giant x spells like draw x cards or whatever like that um that's good um so i think both of them are strong commanders i just think rowan is going to be the easier one to break you just like lose a bunch of life doing things Rakdos wanted to be doing anyway and then just dump it into like a comet swarm into crackle power and you just win the game um, yeah, I guess so that's my take on it I guess that I guess that does make a lot of sense I definitely agree that I think Rowan is the more powerful of the two and I think that holds for 60 card formats as well where we see like Death Shadow be a really good card uh, because fetch lands, shock lands, pain lands make it very easy to lose life. And you can do that in commander mm-hmm. too. Like even if you're not going super deep, like you crack a fetch and get a shock and all of a sudden all your red and black spells cost three less. That's kind of actually pretty frightening. Will seems like a little bit more work. I guess 
to me and Commander, they just seem kind of boring. Like, a three-mana <laughs> Mana Rock with a lot of upside is cool, but do I want a Mana Rock in my command zone when I could play something that was doing something a little bit more spicy? So maybe I underrated them a little bit initially, but I still, I don't know. I guess uh, I, uh, I was hoping for something more out of the return of Will and Rowan, I would say. I like them. I think I think being able to cast like X spells for free and just dumping like X equals ten abilities is kind of cool. But there is one card. I don't know I don't know if you spoke about this last week, but I need to get your, your hot take on it because Wizards of the Coast, there has to be a fan on design of you, Seth. <laughs> and I think they, they went out of their way to make sure that every single set has a new Panharmonicon. <laughs> and this time did they did they crush it? Did they just break break Panharmonic on virtue of knowledge? Did you speak about this yet? It's so, a four and a so blue. We haven't we haven't done any of these cards on the podcast. We haven't uh-huh. talked about any of them on the podcast yet. So go go ahead, Tomer. What's our new Panharmonic on? What's the text? So this is a new blue enchantment. It's four and a blue, and it has adventure. So the adventure side is Vantress Visions. It's one and a blue for an instant adventure. Copy target. Activated or triggered ability you control, you make choose new targets for the copy. Um, so that's really cool. It's like a it's like a little form engine, a one shot little form engine uh, for two mana on one of your things. And then the enchantment side is five mana. Um, if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So it's a permanent, not a creature or an artifact. It's like any permanent. It's like Elish Norny kind of, I guess. Um, um, it just triggers another time. What do you think about this? Is this is this the, the best Panamaricon that has ever been printed in life? This card actually makes me feel really bad because we knew in Mark Rosewater's teaser there was a new Panamaricon. He like teased the text of Panamaricon, the doubling triggered yeah. abilities. So of course I'm very excited about a new Panamaricon. And then I saw the card, and my initial reaction was kind of like, meh, meh, okay, <laughs> like. I don't think, like, it's fine, and I like it, and I'll play it, and I'm excited to build, like, Elishorn with Virtue and Knowledge and Standard, jam it in Commander decks, but I think it's kind of like, I don't know, compared to Yarok or Elishnorn, I feel like it's not better than those. I'm intrigued by the adventure mode. That mode, I think, is sneaky powerful is ramp. I, I tried to pitch mm-hmm. this to the rest of the Goldfish crew. Like, is this the best blue ramp spell in Commander? Just like crack a fetch copy. It's blue rampant growth. And everyone shot me down. Although I'm still going to try. I'm still going to try to do it. But I guess like doubling your Muldrifter trigger in the early game, maybe doubling a yeah. fetch land ramps you into the virtue and knowledge. And then the actual Panharmonicon mode, it is better than actual Panharmonicon, I think. The main challenge is in 60 card formats, it's hard to take off turn four to play Panharmonicon without dying. And this is an additional mana. So you have an even bigger ass to like take a turn off to get on the battlefield. So I definitely will try this card for, uh, for fun and for against the odds. But I think for me, it's mostly a commander card and it's in the right colors, which is good. If you look at the decks that play Panharmonicon, a lot of them are blue blank decks. They're rune style decks. They're ETB base blue decks, Brago style decks. So it's in the right colors that color identity shouldn't be a big issue. So I feel like if you're playing Panharmonicon in your commander deck, you either play this on top of it or in some cases instead of it. But at five mana, I'm a little, I want a cheaper one. I want like the, the two mana Panharmonicon or something. That's what'll get me hyped for, for constructed. Give me, give me the two mana Panharmonicon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I agree. It's, it's not too different. Like the Panharmonicon side isn't too different. I do like the, the, the adventure side. Like I don't, I don't agree that it's like the best ramp in blue, but like, 
I think you're going to be running this card in any any Panarmonicon deck. And then the yeah. two mana side is just going to be good in any Panarmonicon deck, right? Like you said, you're going to be running Muldrifters and, and other ETB triggered ability stuff because you're a Panarmonicon deck. So if you run that out early, you can uh, use the adventure side and then drop Virtue of Knowledge a little bit later. And I do love the idea of like you crack a fetch land um, and then you uh, pay two more two mana to rampant growth as an extra thing or a yes. far seek or whatever. Um, that's really sweet. Okay, so you're not you're not super stoked about this in in one v one. I wanted to ask you, we we haven't seen all the cards yet, but from just your general first impressions, is there any um deck that you're most interested in playing for one v one? Has there any like has Ooh. has have the cogwheels been turning and be like, yes, the first thing like when uh the early access event comes out, I want to try out like this. Is there anything on your radar that like if it becomes a deck, I want to try it out. Yeah, so one that I'm really intrigued by is uh, is actually the roll mechanic. It's it's pretty unique. These creatures that just like put this semi useless enchantment onto the battlefield, <laughs> but there's actually a lot of synergies for it. We just got this new anthem that's two mana. All your enchanted creatures get plus two plus two. It reminds me a lot of Tempered Steel, which is kind of like a classic budget card where you just play all your ornithopters and memnites and then drop temper seal and kill people. So I really want to try roll aggro. That's uh that's very high on my list. I also have high hopes for adventures. I'm not seeing something so far. I guess we have the mythic Baluna, which I don't know if that's actually enough. I'm not seeing anything to really push me to putting all the adventures together in a deck is what I was going to say. I think a lot of the adventures are going to be strong standalone cards just because adventure is a powerful mechanic. But I don't know if we have the pieces for an actual full on adventure deck. And then from a less competitive perspective, there's a ton of things I just want to try, like Agatha and Agatha Soul Cauldron is just really weird. This like activated ability <laughs> reduction thing. I don't even know what to do with it yet. I haven't figured out the deck for it yet, but I feel like there has to be something there. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. Whenever I go into these brews, I get a little fear that like, ah, oh, Shieldred is still a thing. The One Ring's still yeah. a thing. Can it actually hold up from a competitive perspective? That's what I'm not sure of, but there are many, many things that uh, I'm excited to try for the set. And I feel like I really like the design of it. Like when I heard we were going back to Eldrain, I was actually a little worried because original Eldrain was so broken. It was just like so, so pushed. And I feel like this set, it feels like Eldrain, like we talked about in the intro, and it feels powerful, but there's also nothing that's standing out like an Oko or a Bone Crusher Giant that was actually just like a big negative for constructed formats because it was too pushed. So hopefully this actually hits uh, hits the right power level. I guess let me I mean, let me ask you that then, Tomer. Like, what about for Commander? What's your number one number one Commander that you just can't wait to build that we've seen so far? Uh, I honestly haven't been looking too deeply on which Commanders I really want to build. Like. Obviously, Kellen's cool, but personally, I actually just like a carry more as my culture commander. Like, yes, this literally finds a culture piece, but I really like the play style of a carry where it's just very consistent um, card draw engine in the in the in the command zone and provides a little bit of resiliency to removal too. I just like that, and it's also inoffensive and it doesn't draw too much hate. Um, at least in my playgroups, it's, it's, it's been fine. Blossoming Tortoise is obviously really good. Um, if I was more competitive minded, I'd probably go for Rowan. Um, but actually, I think out of all of them, there was a face commander for the fairy deck. And it was like, uh, I think it's like when you cast your first spell 
on an opponent's turn, you make a fairy card. And whenever a fairy attacks, uh, you draw a card. I need to see if I can find it very quickly. Um, I forgot the name of it. But oh, yeah, I it'll don't... be popping up on the screen. <laughs> I know, I know what you're talking about, but I also yes. there's so many, so many new cards. The names all blend yes. together. <laughs> so it's it's a leader of the of the uh, fairy precon, and I have a confession that fairies are like my one of my favorite creature types in Magic. It's probably like top two. I think dragons and fairies are basically the, the two top ones for me. If fairies make it in standard, will you start playing standard again? Will we get a yes. Tomer standard like fairy yes. video? Okay, I will. Like so, when Delver became uh, uh, became uh, standard legal again, I went. I played. I played Delver. <laughs> I got into Mythic, and then I just didn't open up Magic Arena ever since. <laughs> uh, but if if fairies become like even like halfway viable, if they're just kind of decent, like tier two, uh, I will. I will grind it to Mythic. I don't. I do not care. I love them. I never got to play fairies in Lorwyn, which is like 15 years ago or something yeah, at this point. Uh, I didn't I didn't get to enjoy it, but like I've always I've always longed for that. Like, I feel like if there was ever an era of magic that I wish I was actually playing for, I wish it was fairy Lorwyn because I love I love blue black. I love I have blue tempo decks. I love blue tempo decks. I love attacking with small evasive creatures and then having cheap answers to just keep my opponents off guard. Uh and then eventually win the game before they can assemble a real answer to me. Like that's my favorite style of play. That's why I love Delver of Secrets, for example. And if I have to play Legacy, it's always is it Delver, for example. Like if if it shows up in in standard, oh my god! If it even shows up in like a modern or something, oh my god, even more! Like that'd be that'd be wonderful. But what what, what do you what do you think on this set? Do you think do you think fairies are going to be a true menace in in standard or or or, or modern even? Uh, so Is there anything broken it so okay so there's some good there are some good fairies in this set i think sure. uh there's a two drop oh boy so many so many card names to remember there's a two drop that uh can tap to loot and then it also has lazav's ability where you can pay x and turn it into a copy of uh of a creature in your graveyard. I think that card is really, really strong. I think that Talion, a card we've talked about uh, before, because that was a very early spoiler, the Mythic 4-drop has potential to be good. There's like a pseudo-lord in the 3-drop slot. So you can see the pieces. My concern is, in Standard right now, the best deck is Demir Midrange. Uh, which kind of plays a little bit like it's kind of a tempo-y deck that's got some counters and got some removal. And it's playing just like the best Demir card. So it's playing like Shieldred and Graveyard Trespasser. It does have Fairy Mastermind. So what I think is going to happen is you got Fairy Mastermind. People are going to add like the two drop looter fairy to the deck. And then we're going to have a standard pro tour. And Wizards is going to like put, advertise Demir fairies being like a top tier deck <laughs> in standard. Because it like has those two Even fairies those, like, in it. Yeah. And stuff, <laughs> Even like though it's Shieldred and a Valve Sleeper, a Tenacious Underdog. So I'm, I'm skeptical that it can beat out just the generic good Demir deck, but I think it's got a, enough pieces that you can build a fairy deck and win a win a decent amount of games with it. Not seeing much for modern though for fairies. Like it's very different than Lorwyn fairies. Lorwyn fairies were very much like flash based spell stutter sprites, uh, Vendelian yes. clicks. So you're just like never tapping out on your uh, your turn. It's all during your opponent's turn. These fairies are much more like tap out during my turn, get them on the battlefield. They play a little more like uh, tap out style, I think. So Ugh. I would be surprised if they make it into modern. Although we are getting, and this is 
perfect segue to Enchanted Tales. We are getting all these Enchanted Tales, and it includes Bitter Blossom. So we're getting Bitter Blossom on Arena for the first time, which I think might mean fairies have a chance in Historic, which is like Arena Vintage or Legacy, essentially. So you'll have these new fairies, you got some old ones, you get Bitter Blossom. But I really want to ask you about these Enchanted Tales, Domer. So Enchanted Tales, mm-hmm. it's like the, the Strixhaven Mystical Archives or Brothers War Retro Artifacts. It's one of those special slots where every pack you open, you're going to get one of these. And I gotta say, I was kind of blown away when Wizards started spoiling these cards because there's just some really, really good reprints. You have like Doubling Season in there, Bitter Blossom, Kindred Discovery, Land Tax, Necropotence, Omniscience, Parallel Lives, Ristic Study, Smothering Tide, Sneak Attack. It's like a who's who list of the most expensive, best enchantments in Commander with this like pretty sweet new art. There's anime versions of a lot of them, but those are a lot of just like really high-end expensive cards. And I came away from it feeling like, is this the real Commander Masters? We just had this big conversation about <laughs> Commander Masters, how expensive it was. And I found myself thinking, if they're going to like have this good of reprints in a normally priced set, maybe I should just buy this. Maybe I, like, if you want these cards, aren't you better off just buying some normally placed boxes of Wilds of Eldraine and then 300 some dollar boxes of Commander Masters to, uh, to try to get these Enchanted Tales? So I was, so- uh, what did you think? I was kind of blown away by it. To clarify for you, because I don't, I don't exactly remember. I believe, like each each booster, it doesn't even matter if it's like set or draft booster, will have one slot for enchanting tales. Yes, so we're guaranteed one of these per pack. Although okay, I did mention, I did only mention the the best one. There's also like impact yes. tremors, or raid bombardment. So yes. there are like uncommon ones. So you could get a dud, but yes, every pack does give you one. Well, I mean, I, I noticed that there were even, like, some uncommons that were really nice. Like, the, one of the latest ones that got spoiled was Season of Growth, which was already creeping up to, like, two, $2. So Utopia yeah, Sprawl is, like, 5 bucks. Curiosity. Yeah. So even the uncommons are not horrible. Garrick's Uprising sees a lot of play. Yeah, I saw there was a lot of really good ones um, being on the list. Uh, land tax is one of my favorites. I know you don't run basics, so that doesn't matter to you. But, like, also, like, Cormac Guide uh hasn't gotten uh or karmic justice hasn't gotten a a reprint in a very long time and that got uh shown recently so yeah there's a lot of really good cards being uh printed here and they're going to be accessible because they're going to be showing up guaranteed in every pack like yes there is a large card pool to choose from i think it was it was like 20 anime versions and then like i think there's 60 something something all together yeah so like yeah there's a, a decent well i mean there's only there's one guaranteed in each pack i don't know that seems actually kind of decent odds to to find what you're looking for eventually like yeah. i'm i'm not a i'm not a buy packs person i'm a buy singles person so i'm not saying like oh well if you want your doubling season maybe you should buy a booster box no just wait like 2 weeks and then buy the doubling season don't be an idiot like just just buy the freaking but, thing. Stop buying packs. But if you're, what if you're a degenerate pack opener like me, Tomer? What, well, what would, it, what would be better to buy? So you are totally right. Like the correct advice is buy singles, not packs. In either yes. case, but I will say, as someone who loves opening packs, because yeah. of how good these enchanted tales are, I would much rather buy three hundred dollar boxes of Wilds of Eldraine and crack them open than buy one three hundred dollar box of Commander Masters. Personally, like <laughs> I, I, I'm Same just like so, so blown away by how how good this sheet is and how there yeah. was a lot of complaints about like why doesn't Wizards put 
expensive cards normally price packs. Whenever they reprint the good cards, they're in really expensive packs. And I think oh, this is know. a really good example of Wizards putting expensive cards in the normally price pack. So hopefully we see more of that in the future. Although I do have a complaint here. So these cards, a lot of them are new to Arena for the first time. And Wizards, uh, Historic's a really fun format, but Wizards has announced they are pre-banning uh, some of these cards. Tomer, have you have you seen this yet? I'm curious. Have yes. you seen? Okay, so you already know. I was going to quiz you and see if you would guess the ones they're pre-banning. So they're pre-banning six of these cards. Sadly, Blood Moon, they, I was so excited when they spoiled Blood Moon, but then they banned it, which <laughs> that makes sense. I get it. Like, I, I would love to have it be legal, but for the sake of everyone else, that's fine. So Blood Moon, that one's banned. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Necro being banned, that also makes perfect sense to yeah. me that you wouldn't want that going on in the format. The ones that really confuse me, that also a sneak attack, sure, if you want to ban that, that's fine. But some of them really confuse me, with the biggest two being first land tax. And I'm very curious what you think of land tax being banned. To me, land tax doesn't seem like the kind of card that would be a concern in a 60 card format. Like you, you got to play a bunch of basic planes. It's like oh, no. sure, no, you don't have any planes of any basic lands, you or you got to play a bunch land. of basic lands, I guess. But you got to play a bunch of basic oh, no. lands. It's low value. Like, is this a card that's of a bannable power level, Tomer? In your opinion? So I don't know the history of land tax in one v one formats, but what I can imagine is like if I'm playing like Azorius Control and I need a one drop. I can't think of many one drops I'd like more than lane tax, especially because like if you could run like a four of of it, then you can actually maybe cut down like one or two lands as well in your deck for two more answers. So it's like a one drop, like especially if you don't have like ponder preordains or something. If you do, then maybe that's 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 fighting for a spot. But like imagine your your control deck, uh, you're going on on the draw, uh, you drop down a land tax, and then. One turn after one turn, you draw you draw three basic lands, and you have your land drops for like the rest of the game. And then for the rest of the game, you like okay, I have all my land drops, and so now I can start literally deck thinning. Like every single turn, you take three, you put it into the graveyard, or you put reanimation targets into the graveyard, and go from there. I think that card is going to be would oh. be very strong in one v one. Like that, would, I, that would be okay. my first look at it. But okay, like, I. I can buy that. I can I can buy that it would be pretty good in control deck. But that's not the worst of it, Tomer. The worst one is spreading <laughs> spreading seas. Spreading seas. Two mana enchantment. ETB draw a card. Enchanted land is an island. Why would you ban Merfolk would be too good? Do you, do you think that's it? I've been going back and forth. Like that's <laughs> the only thing that kind of makes sense to me is they're worried about the island walk lords and Merfolk just getting people. But I see a lot of people being like, "Oh, it's land destruction." I'm like, "No, no, it's <laughs> literally it's not land destruction. It's like <laughs> slight land annoyance. It's like you got to use your land as an island now. It doesn't even put you down a land." So Is there I a reason. They did not. They just announced on Twitter that they're they're banned. The other one was Intruder Alarm, which I guess I can kind of see. Intruder Alarm is always a combo piece. We've never really had true Intruder Alarm be a competitive combo piece in sixty card format, so that would make me think, oh, give it a shot and see what happens, and then ban it if someone actually figures out a way to break it. But I the the spreading seas one is just one of the weirdest bannings to me of all time. Like it's it's so strange. I think people really like their Nyctoses and stuff, so maybe like 
Some yeah, but that's that's too, like, that's too good. That's too <laughs> Nikthos is too good. We, we wouldn't want to have counters for Nikthos. <laughs> yeah, mean, no, that's crazy. No, we need Mazes End to win on turn six every every game. We can't have people stopping that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I guess just like anything that can efficiently mess with somebody's lands is just off the table. The like funniest... Blood Moon, I can understand being a little bit too strong. Yeah. Spreading scenes, so I mean. The funniest that's part so minor. is like cleansing wildfire is very legal and there's never been a conversation about that. And that's like two mana blow up a land. The player can get a basic land and draw a card. So I guess it's like slightly less of land hate, but it's still kind of similar if it hits your dual land and uh, you got to downgrade to a basic land where it's diminishing your mana and cantripping. But ah. who who knows? Yeah. Spreading season, I think, is a lot better, though, because you're the one who draws the card. Well, you draw from cleansing wildfire, too. You get to, oh, you're the one drawing. You the card draw as well? the card, but the if oh. whoever gets a, loses a land gets to get a basic if they have one. Yeah, nah, but, I don't know. Nah, I don't know. Then that's weird. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's uh, that's Wilds of Eldraid. We're getting near the end of the cast, so we have time for a single fish mail question. So if you want to send in fish mail for next week. Uh, tag them at MTG Goldfish, hashtag them MTG Fishmail. Our question for today comes from Aunt Ron Belowski. This says, Seth mentioned that cards like Farsight Ritual being worse than Memory Deluge. This would have been fine if Deluge had rotated out of standard. My question is, did design anticipate this change when designing, or did some of the set get diluted by Watsi along the way? So this is a reference to uh, the rotation change in standard with Wizards announcing no rotation this year and the question is basically did wizards did wizards design knowing the rotation change and the answer is no wizards actually explicitly mm-hmm. said that wilds of eldraine was designed before they decided to cancel rotation for the year switch to three-year rotation they haven't said specifically what set the is the first one that they designed with this new schedule in mind but we know for sure that wilds of eldraine is not so when you see those situations where uh one card looks you know strictly worse than a card that already exists, like Farsight Ritual just being a worse memory jar because or memory deluge because it doesn't have flashback. Chances are when Wizards made Farsight Ritual, they were expecting that Memory Deluge would rotate from standard and this would replace it. But then thanks to thanks to this change, we get both of them in standard for a while. So we're gonna go through some growing pains. I had mentioned this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm really hyped about the design of Wilds of Eldraine. I think they're heading in the right direction to make standard good, but I think the next year is gonna be really rocky because I feel like the sets weren't designed for the rotation changes. We still have these holdover cards that are very, very strong in the format. So it's going to be a, a process over the next year until we get to the next rotation where things are probably going to be a little bit little bit hit or miss in standard, I think. So I think long term, I'm really hyped about what the future can look like in standard. But short term, it might actually be kind of a kind of a mess. <laughs> Hopefully, emergency bannings are still on the table. I know they said they're like, no bannings, but, you know. Yeah, everything's just like shouldered. <laughs> ban the ban the shouldered, but I don't know. I'm I'm at the point where I'm I didn't like the rotation changes, but I want to give them a chance. Like I think I could very well be wrong. The changes are exactly the opposite of what I would have done. I want faster rotations and more changes. Like that's how I would manage standard. But that doesn't mean I'm right. I could very well be the one that's wrong. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see what it go it looks like, and hopefully something dethroned shielded, and we have a really fun format. Worst case, Wizards 
at least have shown that they are willing to reuse reverse course on stuff like this if it doesn't work out. Because we saw that when they switched to faster rotation and like six months later, like, oh, no, like, we don't want to do this. We switch back. So yeah. with all the stuff about, you know, not banning except for once per year, the rotation, I feel like if it is a complete disaster, Wizards will hopefully, hopefully do something different and fix it. So. Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of episode 447 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Tomer, thanks so much for filling in at the last minute, talking some wilds of Eldrain. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. And I didn't swear a single time. You're, this you're time, good. You're so. back on the yeah. you're back on the proof list. I'm unshadow banning you as we speak. So <laughs> thanks to Tomer for joining us. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic. So until then, have an amazing week, everyone. And this is a crew signing out. 